There it is. When that bass drops in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks out there using this podcast to get you through a workout or a run. Maybe you're in traffic, getting through a commute. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes. In fact, this is going to be an extra special bonus episode where we have extra content at the end. So we're going to be with you even longer to push you through because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Casper, Mac Weldon, Out of the Park Baseball 17, and meh, meh. Yeah, they made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy who has yet to win a single primary, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff, and a quick up-top shout-out to Ozzy on his new move over to uh, Yahoo Esports um, just on the show, and he's starting a new new gig here pretty soon in the explosion, explosion of uh, Esports, so congrats to Oz. Yeah, yeah, uh, congrats to him, uh, and also I should note right at the top that uh, we are recording this episode a little bit early. Uh, I'm getting on a plane on Monday morning early uh, to fly up to GDC, spend the week up there. And so we had to record on Sunday. So if there's big news that's popping Monday morning, we're not going to be talking about it, but we will be talking about all the GDC stuff next week. The good news for you guys is uh, it's going to be a VR craziness next week. I'm going to be talking about that in next episode. So that means I won't talk about VR this week. So you get a week off from me hyping VR for you. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the division and all kinds of other fun stuff going on. But I just wanted to note that we uh, were recording a little bit early. Um, but the good news is we have an awesome guest. You know that DLC is always your downloadable Christian, your downloadable Kanata. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for drinking, laughing, and chatting because we have got one of the internet's best people and one of my best friends. You know him from Dignation. And a little show called The Totally Rad Show. But this day, uh, these days, he's hosting BlizzCon and a great new show with Allison Hayslip called Half Hour Happy Hour. The one and only Mr. Alex Albrecht is here. What? That was the longest and most amazing intro I've ever had, I think. And yeah, I've had man. like two intros, so that's good. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a long time in coming. We wanted to have you on for a long time, but this I feel like this is the perfect week to have you on. This is the perfect week. Are yeah. you kidding me? Little Danny Two Steps? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we, we all went and saw Cloverfield together with Dan. Uh, you know, fans of the Totally Rad Show will know that uh, we all hosted the, that show together. And now Dan's movie just premiered. We all went and saw it. It was, it was lots of fun. Yeah, 10 Cloverfield Lane. It was, it was, it was an experience. It was a moment. It was an experience. It was a little, it was a little bit of an experience. Yes, it was. Lots of much. clapping. <laughs> <laughs> did, he, did he direct you guys on like where to sit? Like, could he? He did actually. <laughs> he actually did yeah he yeah because i wanted to be on the it. aisle and he was like you just scoot down and i was like but i talked about okay <laughs> uh yeah so big week also big week because um uh we've been playing the division together we're going to talk oh, about, yeah. about that we played a uh, a new board game together so lots of lots of synergy this week. and wasn't it you wasn't it you that that got uh jerry and i even on the concept of playing 
a Japanese game in Japan? That was you, right? That was me. Actually, it was Through one of somebody our listeners. a fan, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the listeners of this show has suggested I should have looked up who it was, but I didn't. But we'll talk about that uh, also. But let's, uh, let's start the show the way we always do, and that is with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. Alex, as our guest, you get first pick. I should say that everybody listening can always submit stories for our consideration. All you got to do is use our hashtag on Twitter. That's uh, DLCSOTW. Or visit our subreddit over there at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Also, you can send your feedback to us via email by uh, emailing us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Lots of great emails this week. I'll be reading some of those also. But uh, Alex, you get first pick a story. So what would you consider your story of the week? I'm super excited. Uh, I'm a a fan of of MMOs, as we all knows. Uh, So the fact that EverQuest Next got canceled, that is so sad panda because that was like the big look at how cool this game is. We can be MMOs pretty style. And also that you know their whole big thing was uh, not only revitalizing EverQuest as a franchise, but like it was going to have crazy destructible environments, and you're yeah, gonna the have whole world was going to be different. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that. I mean, I know your tastes because you and I game together a lot. I know that Correct. you never really got into EverQuest uh, the series, but. Were you excited about EverQuest next? Kind of. Well, yeah, because I mean, EverQuest. Like, uh, f- first off, I remember EverQuest when I was like working at the Rand Corporation, and one of my IT buddies came in and, and like hadn't slept in three days, and I was like, <laughs> "Dude, what? Did you go on like a heroin bender or something?" And he was like, "I got this game. It's called EverQuest." And I was like, "Well, what's the deal?" And he was like, "Well, you pay a monthly subscription to play it." And I was like, "Well, I'm not going to play that." <laughs> so that literally was the closest I ever came to the crack cocaine that became my life of MMOs right. uh, with World of Warcraft. But it was so I never had that like first di- like my first crush in high school right. experience with EverQuest, which I think a lot of people did. Um, so then when EverQuest two came out, right? Mm-hmm. I was already so deep into WoW. I was like, "What's this other game?" I don't okay right and then i did dabble in it like you know there's always that period of time where like our buddy joshua would text me and be like what do you think of lord of the rings online because we're sort of trying to find another mmo to play and we'll play it for like a week and a half and kind of lose lose interest in it so i did play everquest 2 um a bit i just was never it was never that thing but then seeing the everquest next stuff and really looking like a next gen you know, I mean, I hate to use that word because we're like seven gens from the beginning of next gen. Right. But, uh, but yeah, that really true sort of like blow your computer out of the water graphics and really fun interaction and that great cinematic they displayed at like three E3s ago mm-hmm. with like the elf going up on the wall and throwing the fireballs and all this crazy stuff and blowing the thing down and then now the thing's blown down. It was – it just had a lot of hype going. Yeah. So yeah, I was, was jazzed about that. It was announced in 2013, so so Jesus. three years ago now. And um, you know they had released that EverQuest landmark uh, sort of uh, creation app. That oh like, yeah, you know the, the idea was that people were actually going to build stuff that was going to make it into EverQuest next and have some sort of ownership over the world because they actually could sort of design their own buildings and items and stuff. All of that sounded really cool and really interesting. But now, uh, evidently, the the uh, announcement this week is that 
the game wasn't fun that they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't find the fun in it and they just had to make the ultimate decision to, to cancel it altogether yeah, it's a very blizzard move right to just be yeah. like we spent all this time and energy on this game but we just realized it's not gonna be fun so rather than putting it out and having you guys go well that wasn't fun and trying to like recoup a little bit of money let's just go do something else you know take what we learned yeah. and do something else well i guess daybreak has to has to chase blizzard in every aspect now including how to cancel things <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um uh, christian what's your take on this um it's it's a it's kind of a bold move evidently they're still going to be supporting the legacy games the everquest the original everquest and everquest 2 they're going to continue those games on because they still have populations and fan bases that are playing them uh, what's your what's your take on this well, I think when they announced it, we just they left out some punctuation. The game was actually announced as EverQuest. Net. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am not an MMO guy in the traditional sense. Of course, Destiny and the Division and these like backdoor MMOs are like join us. Um, it, it's sad though because EverQuest Next looked beautiful. They it looked like they were doing so many really cool forward thinking, trying to expand the MMO genre with, um, you know, the way you could customize. I think they had oh gosh, what was it? The um, creation tools or whatever they called yeah, it for the, the game. Landmark, yeah. It looked it looked incredible. So I think any time a game that you know, looks like it has so much promise goes the way of the Dodo. That's sad, but you got to, I guess, respect a um, publisher that's willing to pull the plug and, and take that money as a loss. If they think it's not delivering to their standards, hopefully we'll see something cool come out of those ideas. I think sometimes those are the best returns is where they take those fun ideas and roll them into something else that is fun and cool. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't know. It looked, it looked really, really promising when they showed it. Yeah, I guess it was over two years ago, I remember Ozzy was talking about it on uh, Week and Confirmed, and yeah. uh, it looked it looked really cool. So. Yeah, and you got to wonder what that means for the future of EverQuest. You know, EverQuest is kind of a big deal, kind of a big deal franchise, and it seemed like this was going to be the big resurgence of that franchise. And now, you know, is there going to be another EverQuest game, or are they just going to continue just to support the games that exist and sort well, of? I think you can expand that to MMO follow ups to some extent. I mean, everybody's like, when when do you get the WoW sequel? And I think. Even they're kind of like, uh, uh, how do we do this again? And WoW, of course, is still killing and, and doing really well. And Star Wars is doing well as a free-to-play model now. But I think there's this gun-shy attitude about creating a sequel or follow-up to these MMOs. Because I don't know if anyone, maybe no one understands why it works so well when it works so well. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, no, why make a, a World of Warcraft 2 when you still got, what is it, like 7 million subscribers paying you 15 bucks a month? Like, yeah. It's not time until you aren't making tons of money a month. Well, and the and the evidence is right there in EverQuest, right? They they splintered their own audience. There's still people playing the first EverQuest, and then they have EverQuest 2. And it's like, well, not everybody makes that leap. And I think Blizzard recognizes that and says, you know, there's still going to be people that want to play WoW. Why would we make a WoW 2? Why can't we just keep, keep altering that universe and keep those subscribers in there and give new people reasons to jump on too? So, yeah. Christian, how about you? What is your story of the week? So we talked about, well, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, that in my opinion, I think the, the biggest hurdle the NX has going for it is uh, are my expectations for <laughs> the leaks make it seem so awesome. Well, maybe now Michael Packner is throwing some shade on those expectations. And I don't know if he's being reckless with his uh, comments or if he's trying to temper expectations for investors, maybe trying to get over jazzed on on the Nintendo NX, but he was talking to, I saw it over at Gaming Bolt, and um, 
He starts off by saying, I have no idea what the NX is going to be, but he doesn't think it's coming out this year. He thinks they'll show it at E3 and it'll come out sometime next year. Then he said he thinks it's kind of the handheld, handheld console hybrid that people are talking about. But then he just threw some hard, harsh shade at Nintendo and he says, uh, I'm not really sure, but based on Nintendo's recent history, it's not going to be very good. I think <laughs> Nintendo is desperately clinging to an old business model that is passing them by. Wow. Let's, I mean, that. Yeah, let's let's be clear. So so this is Michael Pachter. And if listeners are not familiar with that name, he's an uh, an industry analyst who's been around a long time. And he's Wedbush, been, I think. Yeah. I don't even think he is with anymore. I think he's oh, yeah. uh, solo, but um, used to be, I believe. But uh, he, he's been wrong a lot of times, yep. <laughs> and he's been right a lot of times, right? This is a guy who – Ah, pundits. Yeah. <laughs> well, like we have. You know, we've been wrong a lot of times. <laughs> Hell yeah. You know, people in glass houses, I suppose. But, uh, but he makes money ad- advising uh, on investments mostly in the, in the video game space. So he's trying to help people – decide you know whether these companies are making smart business decisions and you're right he's he's pretty harsh here um let's go ahead and talk about this uh, assuming that he could be right so if he is right uh, what do you think about this alex a nintendo nx system uh do you think he's kind of pegging it correctly that they're kind of wrong-headed and making a a thing that's going to be behind the times again well, I mean, look, it's Nintendo. I mean, I've, I've I am have many many years of my childhood loving Nintendo and thinking they could do no wrong, and then many many years as an adult thinking, what the heck is going on over in Nintendo? You know what I mean? Uh, so I think that it it could go either way, but I mean, I think the you know the mobile game space has changed. It, so drastically considering 99% of the public has a mobile game device in their pocket without even knowing it. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of those people play mobile games and don't even realize they're really playing a mobile handheld console. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely, yeah. my wife plays words with friends all the time. And sh- if I was like, you know, you're playing a, like a, you're a gamer, game. like that's a game boy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like no, I see your wife like, on gaff all the time. On the <laughs> totally. She loves it. She's like, bed. She's like, I'm going to totally learn some new big words. She speaks. I don't even know what she says half the time now because of all the big words she knows. I'm like ambidextrous. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, no, but I really think, I mean, I think he could be onto something. I feel like this was the 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 uh, the Wii U. I could have been the exact verbiage. You know what I mean? Like that's when the worry, I, right? Yeah, when we saw that come out a couple E3s ago, I mean, we all played it and we were like, there's some fun here. There's There's like... There's something here, but it's almost like they didn't know what they were making because the whole concept of the like second screen interaction to a single to two player game, like all that stuff was really amazing. But then it just felt like you've got all the AAA uh, titles that just sort of slap on arbitrary uses of that technology, not seeing those games that like, like the tech demos for the Wii U were better than 90% of the Wii U games. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like them saying, we're not I, – I feel like this is them saying we understand we will get our butts handed to us if we jump into the Xbox One PS4 fight. So we're not even going to jump into that fight. We're going to start our own fight that nobody is interested in fighting. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like nobody wants to have that fight. So you go ahead and fight yourself right. and they'll own that market because there is no market. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, totally. So it just feels weird. Christian, as you said, this sort of – 
is your exact concern. So I, I, you feel like this makes you even more concerned. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I want to remain optimistic on this. I think to some extent, it's good to have comments like this to temper otherwise wild expectations. I think this is where Apple and Microsoft run run into the same problems too, as they try to control leaks for what the thing is, but rumor gets out and then leaks get combined. And it's like, oh, the iPhone 7 is going to be the most powerful one and also only $50. Or, you know, the NX is going to be a PS4 capable graphically device, but it's also going to be the size of an iPhone. And you're just like, and it's going to be $200. And then whenever they release something, even if it's incredible, you're like, well, yeah, that's incredible, but it's $300. I hate it. So I'm (laughs) hoping that this maybe tempers expectations and allows Nintendo to come in and surprise and, and do something cool. Because while I agree with Alex about, you know, everybody has their, their handheld portable gaming device with them at all times. I think there's something really, really cool about if uh, you can play Wii U or gosh, PS4 quality, Xbox One quality graphics on a handheld and then continue playing at home because I know a lot of, you know, handheld gamers that maybe wanted to try Gravity Rush on the Vita when it came out before it was out on PS4, you don't want to sit at home and and play on your Vita or whatever and you're not traveling so you don't have an excuse to play it and then you end up not playing it. Well, if there's a convenient way to get a great looking picture of that game on your TV and you can play it and then bring it with you when you're on the road, um, I, I'm still really excited for the NX, but hopefully maybe, uh, now they can still surprise us and do something cool. <laughs> well, they also, you know, also this week, um, there were new comments from the lead designer of the new Zelda, uh, that it is going to be something completely new for the series. So, you know, rumors- Zelda chess, <laughs> Zelda chess, <laughs> hours of Just chess, play hours of chess, as link, uh, as link, <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, do we want something new, uh, completely new from Zelda or do we want just Zelda to be continually remade? Um, I think, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you guys took the, you took really good stories and I'm, I'm tempted to say my story of the week is the new Hearthstone expansion, but what is there to say about it? It's, it looks awesome. That's a Hearthstone expansion. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Moving on. Um, I think I want to pick, uh, just a kind of a fun story as my story of the week and I think it'll be fun to hear Alex take on this too, because uh, Alex and I have spent many, many, many hours uh, talking to each other over Skype while playing World of Warcraft. And here is this guy, a Twitch streamer by the name of Rudism, who uh, is he sort of is known for playing games in ways that they are meant, not meant to be played with controllers they are not meant to be played with. And his current quest that he has set out for himself is to uh, reach level 100 in world of Warcraft, uh, playing the game entirely using a dance pad. So uh, you can watch this, this is guy. crazy. Yeah. He's reached level 60 already, which is no oh small feat starting from level one. Uh, oh, and uh, he's literally playing the game with a dance pad. So, uh, you know, I think this is kind of a silly fun, but uh, there's a lot of these stories of people, you know, using, you know, playing Dark Souls with a guitar or whatever it is. Uh, I think they're all kind of fun and and ridiculous and show what people can do with video games. But this is a kind of a whole other, like he he actually is playing a game that that takes hundreds of hours. He's doing it all standing up, moving around. What's your take on this, Alex? Oh, my back hurts just thinking about it. Are you kidding me? It's like that guy who who uh, leveled to 100 by just picking herbs. It's like, why? 
It's like, I'd like to play this super fun video game while giving myself paper cuts. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that totally defeats the purpose what, of the enjoyment of the game. What's your Twitch channel for that? Yeah. Oh, so I really no, know. that one, it's called Paper Cut Runs. <laughs> uh, I, and it's all timed, which is great. Uh, lots of blood. Uh, so, I mean, I love this idea of like, it's a little bit like, do you remember the, the Twitch Plays Pokemon thing? Sure, of course. Like, that whole concept of taking the 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 idea of live streaming video game playing which just saying it sounds dull uh but it it somehow has miraculously turned into a billion dollar company and it is it is sometimes super engaging i've I've definitely caught myself watching people play especially higher end people playing like diablo 3 where i'm like how are you able to do this thing that i clearly can't do um but the fact that it then spawned all these like weird almost like you know folk art you know experiences yeah. that are happening it's like it's clear like this is performance art totally that's what this is totally. you know what i mean I, and it's engaging it's crazy yeah i think you're 100 right it, it really is performance art and it's fun to see people mess with video games and and be uh be creative with it and say well what how can i break the rules and and still do something fun i think it, i don't know i I don't understand anybody that watches more than like two and a half minutes of this though. You know, people that <laughs> tune in and watch for hours of him, like on the dance pad, I like, I get it in about a minute and a half and I'm done. Uh, and it's like, wow, I can't believe he's doing that. But you know, hundreds of hours. I have a feeling there's a lot of people at work who have this open all day. Just probably so. And like, like a, like a, a, a soothing balm <laughs> for the day's stress. Yeah. It's like, if I can't get to work, <laughs> This guy is getting through the entire game. Yeah. It's padding. So yeah, I should this... be able to get through, you know, filing the TPS reports. Exactly. Look at that. That guy's killing Arthas right now <laughs> on a dance pad. Yeah. My life is not so bad. The best part of this article <laughs> is that they mentioned that uh, all of the people that he raids with are completely unaware of how he's playing. <laughs> that, that is amazing by the way i think i might have done some dungeons with this guy because we had some <laughs> some quite interesting healers at times yeah, yeah. he's literally <laughs> grinding while grinding yeah there you go. pretty great he said he also mirrors edge with the steering wheel jeff um that's great that is that what that's that's a bad idea surgeon simulator with a guitar i would love like he goes to med school and becomes a real doctor and he's like nurse <laughs> My Dr. Rock and cast. Roll is here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me a strat stat. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, it, it is, it is so great that there is an audience for this and that people are, are creative enough to manipulate art and, and put their own stamp on it in these weird ways. Cause it totally is Alex. I mean, it totally is, or I forget who said it, you or Jeff, but performance art in the coolest way that 10 years ago, someone would have done this, but it would have been your friend's friend who lives down the street and yeah, right. And you go to his house and you know, whatever. But now this guy gets to do all this weird stuff and put it out there and just, just to have it exist. Yeah. And uh, people can see it. Yeah. It, that's beautiful. You know, guys, I bet that when this guy is done dance padding his way to 100, he's going to be pretty tired. Uh, but God help him if he go, tries to go to sleep on an old, busted up mattress that he's been using because he's been dance padding every day. Uh, I suggest this guy get a new mattress. And I think the best way to get a new mattress, guys, is to use Casper.com. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. The, uh, the mattress industry is ridiculous. You go into a store, 
you you lay down on the store. There's there's you know, salespeople bothering you. You you lay down on the thing for like a minute and a half. You think, eh, it feels fine. I guess I'll buy this one for thousands of dollars. Uh, then you get it and you sleep on it a couple nights. You're like, oh, this wasn't the this mattress is terrible. Eh, you're stuck with it, and you paid way more than you should have. Casper fixes all of those problems. No salespeople bothering you. You can try the mattress out for 100 days. You can sleep on it for 100 days before you have to decide. And then if you don't want it, if you decide you don't really like the experience, they'll come and pick it up. You don't even have to repackage it. They send it to your house when you buy it. You get it. It's super easy. I did this. It's it's super easy. Uh, and then if you don't like it after 100 days, they'll take it back. Plus, they solve that whole thousands of dollars thing because their mattresses are under $1,000. They're ridiculously inexpensive for the quality that you get. There's $500 for a twin-size mattress, $950 for a king. This is way below industry average, and it's an outstanding price point. We're going to help you out even more also because all you got to do is go to casper.com slash DLC, C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash DLC, and then use our promo code DLC at checkout and you get an additional, excuse me, an additional $50 off. So go to casper.com slash DLC, upgrade your sleep, get 50 bucks off by using our promo code DLC. Uh, all right, guys, um, I guess we'll move on. I, I'm so excited to talk about the games we've been playing this week. So, uh, you know, kind of a light week of news. Next week is going to be huge because DD, GDC starts. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave big news stories for next week and we'll jump right in to the playlist. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us on the playlist. All right, I think... All of us on our playlist have the division. It's uh, it's been breaking sales records for Ubisoft. Uh, and it had a minor issue the first night. Uh, we all jumped <laughs> on at nine p.m. and then servers <laughs> took a dump, uh, which was a bummer. But since then, I have to say the game has been rock solid for me. Um, I, I think based on Ubisoft's track record, I know Christian, you had a lot of doubts going in as to whether the game was going to be stable and even finished. We heard all kinds of crazy stories about the development of this game, uh, multiple delays, crazy different teams being brought in to work on different aspects of it. I think we all had alarm bells in our heads of, of whether this game was going to be good or not. Alex. Yeah. Watchdogs. Yeah. Right. Watchdogs. <laughs> Assassin's Creed Unity. I mean, there's lots of Ubisoft, uh, you know, um, bad signs. Well, and you, you, you nailed it, which is this is sort of the first game that has done the thing where they show you all this amazing stuff you're going to be able to do at E3 and kind of delivers on it. Yeah, and well, not just at E3, but E3 like three years ago. Like, yeah. you know, here's a game that was announced and they showed this awesome trailer and all of us went, I want that. And almost always when that happens and you get these big delays, when the game finally comes out, it feels like, oh, I wish they'd given me the game that they showed back then and yes. this. And I feel like this game is the game that we wanted it to be. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a very interesting, it's part of this sort of, it's funny that, you know, Christian mentioned it as sort of like the MMO gateway drug, because it has that, it has that vibe where it's like, it's an MMO in the pure sense of what those words stand for, Mm -hmm. but what you think of an MMO, it's sort of not that, but I, I think that's not a bad thing at all. There's, you know, this great 
sort of I mean, it's a little bit like what I loved about Star Wars: The Old Republic, which is the you know, Swotor is the best co-op online uh, Bioware experience. Mm-hmm. It's not the best MMO in the world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's like when you when you think about what you want to do, at least for me. I mean, it's this is literally the game that was built for for Alex's desires to play games with friends. I mean, it's like you can go to a safe room and see a bunch of other people so you feel like I'm in this living, live, breathing world. And then when I walk out the door, it's just me and my buds and the bad guys. And, you know, the crazy thing is, is there's, like, opportunities. Like, um, last night, uh, Jerry and I, we did the Dark Zone thing again. Oh, right. And successfully. <laughs> oh, like, really? Well, we had oh, crazy, we should talk about oh, our crazy yeah. experience too, but go ahead. So it was like one of those things where in the in the sort of dark zone is where you get the like in a real living world with other players, friends or foe, you don't know, lots of bad guys, but it's sort of like their kind of – I would say it's sort of their take on a sort of dungeon raid experience meets PvP, you know. Yeah. Like it's a very weird hybrid game, but it it's gorgeous – the milieu is great. You know, I mean, you were saying something which I thought was really apropos, which is it's the first sort of post-apocalyptic game that takes place right after the apocalypse happens so that everything still looks nice. Yeah, I, I think that's a big deal for me. Like, It's so great. It's fun to be in those post-apocalyptic worlds. You know, Fallout's cool and everything, but everything's always so run down and grungy. And it's so neat in this game, especially because of how beautifully rendered the world is. Yeah, it's gorgeous. When you walk into somebody's apartment and it's still really nice, like they have their nice furnishings and stuff or even w- like how different all the safe rooms are like there's one that's in a bar that like yeah. looks awesome and it's been sort of reconstructed there's one in a like a, a high school gymnasium that you know has been repurposed to house refugees and stuff there's you know there's underground ones they all look really different but they're so neat because you see how ad hoc and makeshift everything is immediately after the S hits the F, you know, it's like things went bad and we had to turn this really sort of nice, uh, you know, shopping mall into a safe zone where we can all hang out and try to help each other. It, it's such a cool aesthetic. Yeah, it's super fun. And I think it's been smooth as butter ever since that first night. And, and by the way, that first night wasn't the official launch. It was actually sort of like semi-early access, so you can kind of forgo, you know what I mean? Like, we were excited to get in on, like, Monday night. Really, it came out on Tuesday morning. So it was like, so even though we were sort of mad, you know. And there was only one time, uh, last night I popped on and got, like, a queue. And I was like, ooh, a queue, I've never seen that. But Mm. the queue took literally, you know, 30 seconds. So it was not, it was just sort of like, oh, that's a thing? Okay. Mm. Um, but, uh, But, yeah, you know, and... The RPG elements, the the ability to sort of swap out skills on the fly, which we do often. I mean, when you're in situations where you're sort of like, oh, God, I wish we had more healing or I wish we had better, you know, uh, um, uh, support stuff or we need more robo guns, which I are the things that the bad guys say are genius. <laughs> you know, oh, my God, they've got a robot gun. It's, it's great. They got Alex, which is my favorite. Yeah, they got Alex. <laughs> Um, Christian, I, I think one of the best things I can say about this game, specifically speaking to you, is I find myself, when I'm playing with my friends, I am literally saying the things that the 
Ubisoft promo video people say that we always make fun of. Like I'm living the thing that we say is so unrealistic. We're sitting there playing and I'm saying, guys, I got, they're on, they're on our six. Okay. Go back. I turn around. All right. I'm taking down the, okay. Deploying a turret. All right. I need a heal. I need a heal. Throw me down the hill. Okay. Great job. Uh, you got me covered. Yeah. Okay. I got you covered. Moving to the door. Like I'm doing the stuff that we say no one does in the ridiculous Ubisoft actor E3 announcements, but I'm doing it for real. Sounds like you need to drop a uh, camera on. You guys got a dope commercial you could. Uh, yeah. <laughs> see, I'm only uh, maybe an hour and a half, two hours into the game. And um, I ended, I played this last, I was out of the country most of the week and then got back and played this last night. And then I saw my little brother playing Destiny last night. So I jumped over mm-hmm. and um, I was texting with you or I messaging <laughs> international to take that international texting um with you jeff while i was gone and you know i asked you like do you like the game and uh let me let me pull up our pull up our texts for people so they can relive this glory uh scrolling 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 okay uh division yes or division no i absolutely love it oh snap guess i'll need to take the plunge it's what i really wanted destiny to be Dang, I'm gone for a while. Uh, you playing solo at all? Multiplayer roller. Been playing a lot with friends, but solo solo is totally viable. Uh, you're hooked, dude. I think we. Sh- yeah, I am totally hooked. And by the way, I think we should always just uh, do the show via text and then just read it. <laughs> read it later. <laughs> well, I wanted to know. I just wanted to let people know that this was genuine, not. I'm always you know, genuine. What are you saying? Uh, sometimes you force positive energy for a podcast. No, 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 no I, do, I, I, I totally stand by that. This is the game that I wanted destiny to be. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. 100%. Go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. Explain. Well, no, I mean that like that to me was like the, the thing that I wanted destiny to be. Uh, and it's so funny because I didn't even really think about what I had wanted destiny to be. I think the problem with destiny was it, you know, it's a little bit what, what Christian said, it's like the problem with destiny was what they told me destiny was going to be. You know what I mean? Right. It wasn't what destiny actually ended up being. And where I feel like the division basically says like, yeah, you're going to be walking down the street of a post-apocalyptic New York right after the fall of whatever the heck happened. And your friends will be there. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I want that. Whereas destiny was like a re-envisioning of, of the science fiction epic and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, no what it's it's a lobby town and then you go out into the world and you do you know little instances like if they had said it's going to be the most amazing little instance game with a lobby town wrapped (laughs) around sci-fi stuff i'd be like this game is awesome totally delivered (laughs) yeah i think i think the the division handles the story layer much better than uh destiny did at launch i think the story stuff is is really interesting and like finding those echoes out in the world is really cool uh, so the, can I so, go ahead? Sorry, before we move on from the story stuff, I just want to ask a, a question about that because so one backing all the way up. Yes. Yeah, so what it learned from destiny in part are you see numbers flying off dudes more clearly than you do in destiny, you know, a la borderlands. You see loot is highlighted way more obviously than it is in destiny when a character drops. I would, something that you I would go say pick up. the information delivery of the division is stellar. The, it's, it's so yeah. clear. Everything is very clearly there's so much polish on how information is delivered to you. And I think that is, goes a huge, a long way. I mean, Alex and I just had the experience of playing, um, 
uh, uh, the Black Desert MMO, which I've talked about a couple of times on the show, and how obtuse the the information was in that game. Oh um, yeah, and I just think it's so nice. I don't mean to interrupt you, Christian. I just wanted to say it's so nice to have all the information at your fingertips and and so clearly delivered to the player. Yeah, it's it's great. So my question about the the story side of things, and I agree, the story for, you know from what I've played of it so far is it was great. It's compelling. It moves you through the world, but and bouncing between that and then you know, being like, oh, I'm going to go to bed and then seeing my little brother's playing Destiny and staying on for another hour. I had tons of fun playing Destiny with my little brother because we were, you know, just chatting, catching up, and he was playing levels and missions that I already played, but I really didn't care because it really is just, let's go do this instance and shoot stuff and the shooting is bungee and it feels really good. And I, I wonder if the division is better the first time through but if i saw my little brother like a year from now playing the division and i was playing whatever and i was like oh he's playing the division let me jump in i'm wondering would it be fun to go back and do well, the thing because it is so story driven like have you guys no, I don't, have I you think guys gone back that. i think it's still that i think division is also that but and and i don't i'm not trying to take anything away from destiny because I i'm under- not trying to take it yeah no i mean these are both i i really enjoy both of these games right yeah. now i'm just trying to I, I don't think it. The, I think the division is still that because we've already had that experience where I've replayed missions with new people and on new difficulty levels and stuff like it's made to be that also. But I think there's a more a bigger variety in what the missions are. You know, uh, just wandering around the the world in Destiny. A because it's beautiful. B and division. You mean? Did I say Destiny? Yeah, because there's yeah. no world to wander around. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that's, what, that's what I'm trying to make that point. I, I think I'm catching that. The, di- the Division. It sucks that they're both D names. <laughs> but in The Division, when you're wandering around the world, which A, benefits hugely, in my opinion, from no loading. Like the fact that it Yeah, does- I was just about to talk about that. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say that th- one of the biggest, you know, the the point at which the destiny really just sort of hit a giant halt for me was when we all jumped up into our ship, which was just a load screen with a picture of a ship, and then chose a place to go on the map and then waited for our ship's engines to spin up or something. And then we got this cutscene of us f- flying somewhere, and then we were on a new place. That was where I went, oh, so it really is just a hub world. Yeah. But with the division, there's literally no load screens. Like it, when you're going in and out of places, like I don't know even where there is a like where they put the load screens because I never see them. Like even when you're walking into the only time where it feels like oh this is hiding a load screen is when you're walking into your sort of base of operations, which yeah. is like your own little place that you're by yourself and sort of building this base up which is sort of the progression of the game. But like walking into a safe house, there's no moment where it feels like, oh, here's the load screen. Right. So it feels like you could literally walk from one side of Manhattan to the other, and it's a single entity space. Or your your safe house isn't 10 miles underground where you ride an elevator. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, time. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that goes a, a long way for me in making the world feel like a world. And, uh, and then, you know... I love the fact that I'm in third person and when I get cool stuff, I see it on my dude. Like that goes a long way in making yeah. loot exciting. Uh, also, uh, the only downside of that is I th- I wish, I hope in the future they they blow out the sort of appearance loot and make it more interesting because I feel at this point, 
I don't look dramatically different from other people when I get stuff. I mean, there's there's little it's bits. Very, of that. It's hyper realistic. Yeah. And right in that world, you know, a, a MP4 looks a lot like an MP5. You know what I mean? Right. Like, You're not going to have a cape in a flaming skull helmet, as and it, it's kind of the the burden of the world they chose, which is cool because it sticks to it. But it's yeah, Tom you're not Clancy's gonna have- fault. <laughs> well, but you could, but theoretically, I mean, you say, you know, no flaming skull thing, but you could definitely have, you know, a helmet, like an actual protective helmet with a spray painted skull on it. Like there's, yeah. there's ways that you can expand in the creativity of how your character looks without it going into this, without it breaking the hyper realism. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And I hope that they go farther in that direction. Cause I think that makes the game more and more fun. Um, the other thing that you kind of brought up, Alex, uh, that I think differentiates it from destiny and makes it more of what I wanted destiny to be is I think the variety of things you do. And the fact that like, I am building up my base uh, through the progression. And that does feel like there's times when I'm going out and doing these cool story missions. And there's times when I'm going out and doing cool side missions. And then there's other times where I'm just like having encounters happen around me that benefit me because I'm getting parts to build up the cool part of my base the the amount of sort of ways that I get distracted in a good way, like I'm on my way to a mission, but something cool just happens. Uh, And I think Destiny sort of said it was going to be like that. And in practice, hasn't been as much like that as I was hoping. And I think- They fixed it. But what the Division does well out of the gate is everything you do rewards you. And Destiny for the first year was not the case. You would play for four hours and get nothing that makes you any better. And the Division- Anytime you do anything from what I've played and listening to you guys talk and, you know, our offline chats about it, everything you do rewards you in some way. So you never get that feeling of I just played for four hours and got nothing aside from enjoyment in the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, any other uh, downsides, Alex? I mean, I know we, we talked we were sort of debating amongst ourselves about the lack of a true class system. Um, and, and sort yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah, I think the generic, I think that's the sort of feeling like all, like we, you know, the character creation stuff, like I loved how it was handled with the like closing of the front door. Oh, yeah. The you car, see yourself and in then the you're looking at yourself. Yeah. And that's how you build your character. Like, amazing. And then you realize there's like four heads that you can all have. And essentially, we all got into the game. We're like, hey, oh, we all look exactly the same. Yeah. Like, we literally picked the same. Head girls <laughs> with short gray hair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every literally every single one of us were like, we're gonna have short gray hair and <laughs> and this face. And I think my scars on my like left cheek and your scars on your right cheek. Like that's it. Yeah. I think somebody has a nose ring. Like come on. Uh. So so I think there is something to the to be said about the fact that you know. And then we we're looting all this great um. The, the the things that they are called like the things that the um appearance things are called like the names are way more exciting than what they added the difference when you're actually put them on right. it's like oh a slightly gray tinted jacket instead of a slightly brown tinted jacket but it's basically the same cut of jacket it's got the same iconography it's the same jacket, you know what I mean? And yeah. one's called like casual puffy jacket, and the other one's called like extreme military jacket. And yeah. it's like those are literally the same jacket, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of that where I feel like there's there's a, a missed opportunity to really stand out uh, from the crowd uh, in that respect. Um, and I think you know there's a little bit of how the sausage is made that's starting to happen with me, where 
you know, when, when you're walking down the street to a mission and you look over and something sort of pops off, at the end of the day, it's going to be kill the same guy. Mm-hmm. You're either killing the hoodlum or you're killing the cleaner. And so far, that has not deviated. And so I feel like though there are different classes of cleaner or classes of hoodlum, I guess, um, it really does sort of feel like I'm now, you know, just killing the same exact type of people. And I'm, I'm hoping that there's some variation as the levels go up and maybe some new, new bad guys types to fight. Um, yeah, they, there's, you know, there's some bosses and stuff, but there's room for that in the future too. I, I hope they continue to, to iterate on the, but you're right. And, I think I should say that uh, we're around the sort of 15, 16, 17 level, right? You're like, well, yeah, so there might be stuff. I mean, we're only halfway through, so, but we're also halfway through. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The other big criticism that I'm reading a lot of is people saying that, you know, for a game that looks and feels very realistic, that, uh, you know, the enemies are basically bullet sponges and the harder enemies just take way more bullets to kill. I don't have a problem with that. I much prefer that, honestly in a shooter to the wacky, weird boss mechanic that you have to figure out. I, I really like the, the way of ramping up the difficulty that they just throw more guys at you and you have to figure out how to navigate that experience, the whole sort of halo model of just, you know, creating a a crazy wave of enemies rather than one that just behaves and, you know, you have to shoot him in the back or, you know, yeah, I I much prefer That that. That's where I feel like the the Tom Clancy route, Tom, um, hampers this game a little bit and, and where Destiny gets a pass because Destiny is the same thing. As my brother and I were playing last night, it was, you know, oh, here's this boss, i.e. A, a bigger sponge, but it's almost easier to accept that. And the same thing for Halo and Jeff, your example, it's because they're different races and different aliens. So when you see a grunt, you know, a grunt is a one pop. When you see a brute, you're like, okay, I got it doesn't feel as he's just a bullet sponge because it's a brute and brutes are tough. They're an alien that is tough. Yeah. But when you see a human, like one human is four shots. Now you see a human that has a level 10 above their head. It's still a human in gear, (laughs) you know? So when you're sitting there firing, wearing a hoodie, (laughs) yeah, like 20 AK 47 rounds into him. Uh, and I think in terms of gameplay, it's fine. It's great, but it is, it's a small break in quote unquote reality. But this game, man, this game reminds me, and I heap praise on, on far cry before I love good Ubisoft. Good Ubisoft is so good. You know, like, yeah, the, the trailer, they showed you closing car doors at E3 two years ago. I've closed so many car doors. Like <laughs> they deliver on that promise. I'm, hope that Shane Black is writing or directing the movie of this. I think the world is rich. It takes place over Christmas, Shane. Like there's, there's so much fun stuff. And I think the shortcomings for me, maybe I'm already a division apologist two hours in. It's like, this is a new IP. Like Alex said, they delivered on the promise that they showed you three years ago. And so I'm willing to look the other way to so many shortcomings because a new IP out of the gate. And I, I gave them a hard time on Twitter for server issues. I do think that's, disgusting when they hype day one stuff and it was very I know it's not their fault it's technology's fault yeah. but it's frustrating and I, I hope we come up with a way to get past that hitman currently is suffering from the same thing all those tweets apply to them as well but it's like man when a new game comes out and does all the things you want it to do if i have to shoot a guy 40 times to take him down at some point I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, plus the other thing with the with the the bad guys is they had this they have a really fun mechanic which is each of the 
people have there are sort of classes like there's the flamethrower guys and there's yeah. the grenade grenadiers i guess and the like snipers that put up like flash a light to blind you like there's yeah. and you can shoot the light out you can shoot the bag that the grenadiers have and it'll explode all their grenades you can shoot the tanks on the flamethrower guys and it nothing more them into grenades than that. oh uh, so, so and so there is this sort of a little bit of variety but i think i think christian's right i think you get you give it such more of a pass when it's an alien that has a thick hide and you're like, Oh God, here comes that big thick hide alien rather right. than, Oh, it's the purple bar guy. So I'm going to have to shoot him a lot more. Yeah. Um, I want to get into the dark zone stuff, but I do need to thank uh, our next sponsor, which is Mac Weldon. Uh, Christian and I have experience with Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon sells you underpants and socks. That's the secret though, Jeff. <laughs> The guys, the harder level guys are wearing Mack Weldon hoodies. Is that what it is? The Mack Weldon <laughs> stuff will keep you safe. Yeah, in the dark zone, wherever you're going. Yeah, man. Uh, you gotta, you have to check the underpants of the enemies you're fighting. Always check their underpants. <laughs> yeah, that not that the dark zone? I thought that's what that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's where the sun don't shine, that's for sure. Um, Mack Weldon, here's the thing. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. That's, that, let's put that out there. Mack Weldon is, is high quality basics. And Christian and I have uh, talked about this before. We really dig this place because they they little details are important. Comfortable underwear. There's too long in my life have I put up with <laughs> uncomfortable underwear. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And you can do better. You can do better and go to Mac Weldon. Christian, you dig your uh, you you're wearing the trunks. You got the trunks. Trunks and I'm wearing the hoodie right now. So when you say it's better than whatever I'm wearing. I object, but only because I'm literally wearing it. <laughs> you're wearing a Mack Weldon hoodie right now. Yeah, so I'm a level, at least level 20 in division. Nice. You're definitely purple uh, elite en- enemy. Um, y- y- the best thing about Mack Weldon, of course, is they uh, believe in their product. If you don't like uh, a pair of, of underwear, uh, some socks, a shirt, whatever, they will return your money on your first purchase and let you keep it. So that's pretty. that's a pretty good guarantee. They know you're going to dig it. Plus, we're going to give you 20% off your first purchase. If you go to MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, and use the promo code DLC, you get 20% off. They have great socks. They have great underpants. Let me tell you, chicks notice details. They do. I was just at a place, and a girl commented to me. She said, great sock game. She noticed. She, you notice They noticed the socks. If you're just wearing basic black socks or, God help you, white socks, uh, up your game. Go to MacWeldon.com. Let us give you 20% off. Use that promo code DLC. Improve your game. Uh, all right, guys. Speaking of improving our game, uh, the Dark Zone. We, you know, uh, let's talk a little bit about, Alex, about our experience in the Dark Zone because it, it was Well, we sort of had two. Yes. We sort of had two experiences. We, we, had, we had the... First off, when you go in there, it's, you're like a babe in the woods. <laughs> Literally, it's like... It's as if you forget how to play the game you've been playing for so many hours. Right. <laughs> like, and the stress level goes through the roof. So if I people mean, don't know, basically what the Dark Zone is, is contaminated, right? So any, it's where the, the better loot drops. So you get better stuff, but that loot is contaminated and you need to extract it and have it uh, cleansed, I guess, before you can actually use it. And the only way to do that is to find these uh, these extraction zones, signal for an extraction, and then a timer starts, and a helicopter will come, and you literally like 
attach your stuff, your bag of stuff to the rope that the helicopter has and it takes off. The problem is when you initiate that process, a beacon goes out and NPC bad guys start attacking you and uh, other players can also either come to help and try to get their stuff uh, extracted or attack you and kill you and take your stuff. Yeah, hence the... The pooping of the pants that happens <laughs> when when any timer starts, uh, and so when we first went in there, we had we had a, a we were first just like looking right, and then being very cautious and very you know th- that area feels too bad. These bad guys are too bit hard, and and we started you know engaging some bad guys that we were like we think we can take these guys, and it felt very satisfying. We started taking some guys, and then all of a sudden we saw that an, extra- an extraction had been initiated and it was near us. And so we got really like, w- w- let's go there. And we went there and there was a lone player who was sort of sitting there who kept like crouching on cover opposite of us. <laughs> yeah, very scared that he- we were going to take him down. Yes. And we were like, I don't, th- this is not happening. Now, the other thing is there's um, uh, uh, proximity microphone use, which I think is fantastic. So if you have your microphone settings set to on as you get closer to character uh, pl- other players you can actually hear them talking through their mic and you can talk to them um which is really smart because you can be like look dude we're just here for the helicopter <laughs> we're not joking uh and so we had this moment where bad guys were coming in we were you know helping and then the helicopter came and we all sort of walked up to the helicopter calmly hey, hey put our stuff on the helicopter the helicopter left and we were like this is the most amazing thing ever. The guy ran away, scared, obviously. Uh, and then we were like, got really, we just got too cocky. We were like, we got this dark zone thing. <laughs> we're, this is easy. And we ended up getting into the wrong part of town, literally. And it was just, it was, it was just wave after wave of death upon death. And the whole concept of any loot that you, get in the dark zone when you die in the dark zone it drops it right where you died so there's this constant push pull of risk reward of if i could just go back i know that i died there so i don't want to hang out there and try to kill people but if i could just get back there and scoop up my stuff and then get out of there so it was a lot of yelling there was three of us on, and there was a lot of yelling of "Don't go back!" But I'm so close to my old weapons. I just let me just grab them a bit. Oh, I'm, I died again. You know I mean? I'm down. I'm down. I'm down. I'm down. I'm down. I'm not coming to save you. I'm not coming to save you. You chose this. You chose this. It, I uh, think the thing the game gets really, really right is is the level of uh, co-op, the level of teamwork that you can employ. The fact that some people can have heals, the fact that other people can, you know, you're you're using turrets, you're specializing, and you're making that all fluid. So any And I think the pulse mechanic is a genius that somebody can have a skill that literally shows you where all the enemies are to anybody that's in your group. Right. I mean that's that 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 mechanic alone is a leap forward in the concept of this type of of game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. it's sort of that thing of like does somebody have it? Do we have it on cooldown? Like keep well, using it. That's usually been like in Call of Duty that's existed, right? But you're you're unlocking the UAV and then yeah, launching I guess that's true. Gear. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. How we get out of perk feels like the thing. It almost feels like, and again, I know other games have done this, but to me, the biggest game was Destiny, and, and like the idea of grenades. You don't need to pick it up; you just have them, and they're on a cooldown. And now having this type of 
uh, ability as an ability or a perk, you're like, yeah, of course it is. Like this is a class is the scout or something like that. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is uh, fantastic. Um, there's a lot of stuff that, so then last night, <laughs> last night, I decided we we were playing. Uh, I was playing with my buddy Jerry, and we were like, "Okay, well, let's go into the dark zone." We were like, "Are, are, are we doing like we're doing this?" <laughs> that that's the decision we're so, making tonight. So sad. I had to log off before this, dude. It literally it was right after you logged. Although to go back to the sort of like repetitive stuff that, or the um, you know, going back and playing the same missions over and over again with your friends, if it is use uh, like fun, Christian, we literally had this this happen last night with Jeff. Jeff was on, we did a side mission, which was going down into a water purification area, and you had to, like, turn these valves uh, with, within the right amount of time, otherwise the water pressure was going to explode, and pe- waves of bad guys were coming in, and it felt really active, and like, oh, this is what we're doing, we're purifying this water, I got it, literally as soon as he logged off, we went to another area of town that was a little bit higher, because I think we're, like, two levels above uh, Jeff, so we were back in the sort of, like, 14 layer uh, level, we literally just happened to choose a mission that ended up being the exact same mechanic. <laughs> we went down into a water purification, and we were like, did we just do this with Jeff like two seconds ago? It was just as much fun. And we That's literally great. had done it 10 minutes prior, and it was still stressful, you know, tactical. We were calling out, and, and it really is funny, Jeff, that you'd say that because I remember when in the middle of us playing the game you were like this we sound like ubisoft pr people yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it literally is like i'll take care of the snipers but watch out for the guys coming on the flanking on the left and let's get some cover down and and you know is your turret off cooldown? we need some turret fire but just suppress the guys over here i mean it literally that is how you t- speak to people when you're playing this game which is crazy but we I think the, oh sorry go ahead no no, no 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 i was just gonna switch back to the the dark zone stuff so we went into the dark zone we uh shot a bunch of people and the thing that's great in the dark zone that's fun is uh, uh, Jerry was like, we've got bad guys coming in. And and I was like, no, those are players. Do not shoot those players because then we become the bad guys. And <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be the bad guys. By the way, the first time that happened, Alex just threw a grenade willy-nilly at something that was moving in the distance. And then all of a sudden, all of us were like, your flag does rogue. And I was like, what? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, you hear literally over the mic, you hear those guys are rogue, and and we're like, oh god! And they all turn on us, and everybody is like way out leveled us, and they just hosed us. Yeah, and there's been a, a great gif going around of it's from the office when they're all sitting in the conference room, like they they take their fi- like fingers up as fake guns, and they're doing like a you know fake standoff. And then they all kind of slowly put them down, and then they bring them back up. Yeah. And like, <laughs> the vision in the dark zone equals, and it it seems pretty perfect. It's pretty wonderful. It's pretty yeah. Wonderful. I, it's, I, it's it's fun. It's a different kind of stress, and it's also really fun. And I think the play the way that they really did it right in this game is because you will hear. Uh, you know, myself, I think Jeff is on this train, our buddy Jerry, we are very against PvP in general. Like, it's not where the joy comes for us, usually in games. The fact that it is a separate choice, that you're choosing to go into the zone where PvP may or may not happen, but you don't, you're not down on it if it happens because you chose it. And there's a a weird disconnect on that. I think. Say what? It's a lesson learned from Watch Dogs, where in Watch Dogs, you could have your game public and there was like a, a little reward to that, but people would just come in and raid you and kill you. And you're just like, 
man, I was just trying to do a side mission before I went to bed. Yeah, hmm. yeah, that that definitely would be not a good experience for me. But it but it really is interesting because we now seek it out in a way because it's sort of like you can have this you know co op persistent world experience with your friends and then kind of go you know what just for fun let's amp it up and let's try let's just toe into the dark zone and god willing that's a successful experience and last night successful experience where i got like eight blues from the dark zone that i have yes. not seen because i we just went to bed <laughs> uh well we'll I be talking so. about uh a lot more of the division over the over the next few weeks i'm sure because um i'm gonna keep playing it i know christian's gonna get more time in on it as well so uh it's I, i'm just so happy that it it exceeded my expectations. Um, I know that I was really worried that this game wasn't, wasn't going to live up. So um, it, you know, I think people are digging it. I'm, we're all certainly digging it. So. And the real life takeaway lesson is uh, if an epidemic breaks out, hopefully you are a bad guy who is either a good at throwing grenades or a sniper because they are all immune from any disease that, you know, strikes a city. <laughs> right. uh, so I've been working on my sniping skills and just like, dipping my toe into looting so heaven yeah. forbid something happens i'll uh i'll be on the wrong side of history but i'm going to survive the, <laughs> <laughs> the epidemic um alex really quickly i, I want to oh boy talk a little bit of i know <laughs> how to do this quickly i don't know but um so when we were playing uh blade and soul i talked about it on the show and i had a couple of uh, listeners reach out to me over twitter and say, hey, the game you shouldn't be playing, because I was like, oh, we, we're trying to get back into an MMO. We're, we're trying a couple of different ones. They said, the game you should be playing, if you really want to play the right MMO, is Dragon's Dogma Online. Uh, the caveat being that <laughs> Dragon's Dogma Online has not been released in North America. Uh, it only exists in, uh, in Japan on Asian servers. But there are ways to get around that. And I brought that up to you guys and said, Hey, you guys want to try this? And, uh, and we all sort of said, I don't know. And then I moved yeah, it on. Didn't, to, it didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. I, I went on, moved on to the things and then you guys actually did it. So yeah. explain to me the process as quickly as you can. And, and what was like, what it was like. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. We, I, so we were playing, uh, we started with the desert, black desert. Right. Um, and then, uh, our buddy Dan, uh, was super into Blade and Souls and kept trying to, I mean, for a long time was trying to get us to play Blade and Souls. And, uh, which we and played Jared, a lot of. Which we played a lot of, yeah. We, we definitely got into it, but we hit this sort of wall with it. Um, and I was playing uh, with, with our buddy Jerry and he was like, I got, you know, I just, uh, this isn't, I'm, I think I'm done with this. And I was like, yeah, I get that. We were just sort of, it was an excuse to hang out. I mean, basically, MMOs nowadays are just an excuse to chat on Skype. Uh, but we weren't finding any more joy in it. And it was Jerry that was like, let's try the Dragon's Dogma online thing. And I was like, really? We're going we're gonna to try the tunneling into a Japanese server <laughs> to see to, to play a game that is in Japanese. <laughs> and, and so we, we took the plunge. We, we went to the Reddit, um, just like the guy, you had said that the guy had mentioned to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we down, you know, you download a, 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 not VNC. What is it called? VN, a virtual private network VPN. Oh, VPN yeah, yeah. So you download a VPN, a, a piece of software which allows you to tunnel into a Japanese server to pretend, you know, look like you're Japanese, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it shows you how to start the process of. I mean, we should have stopped at step one <laughs> <laughs> because step one was. 
a page on Capcom.jp <laughs> that is in all Japanese, and there's sort of a box that you literally, what you have to do is see a screen capture where they say, they translate what the different boxes mean, and you have to create an account on this Japanese site just by going like, oh, that box with all those Japanese characters, I put my email address in there. <laughs> and then this other box with Japanese characters, that's where I put my password right. that I want it to be. And then this other box with more Japanese letters, that's the second time that you're putting your password in to say. And then the checkbox means I accept all the Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> so you go through this long process, you create an account, and then... And then really the, the, the biggest thing was you start downloading the game from Japan through a Japanese VPN. Mm -hmm. I ended up capping out at 0 .30 uh, megabits a second. Yeesh. So a week and a half later after you had it downloaded. Oh, literally, I downloaded it overnight. Uh, turns out I only downloaded half of the 17 gigabytes. Oh, boy. So the next day when we're like, here we go, we got everything ready, I was like, oh, I've only downloaded half of this game. <laughs> so another day went by. So then we we, we get the, you know, we, we get it, it's installed, we we download the, the, what they've been doing is the community has been um, translating stuff, and then you have this patch that you can put on, this user-generated patch, which is supposedly translates everything uh, into English, uh, and that's a loose description of what happens. <laughs> it's not not exactly everything translated. Uh, oh, I'd say maybe it's like 10% is translated. <laughs> and you were saying that the, uh, the Japanese characters are still on the screen, even for the stuff that's translated, right? It's like, it's just right... Well, yeah. Well, so so what happens is... so so. The other thing that they suggest you do is to download the Google Translate app on your phone so you can take pictures of Japanese characters and have it translate, I guess is the word that they would use for what it was doing, uh, into English. You guys are sitting there with a game on your screen and then taking a picture on your phone and then looking at the phone to see what it's telling you to do, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. And some of that happens mid-action. <laughs> so, like, we had a boss. They were training us on how to do a boss, and it would just go, all Japanese characters, like, in the middle of a fight, the boss would, like, pulsate red, and then all Japanese characters and the, the like, <laughs> space bar icon. You guys are like, quick, take a picture. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what, am I, what am I supposed to do? Someone will figure this out and make it into an indie game that teaches foreign languages. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> a tool in the works and you're like no no i know this one this means you know run left <laughs> yeah i literally speak more japanese now than i have ever spoken in my life uh all you can say in japan you go to japan and they'll be like someone will say hi to you and you'll be like there's a large dragon coming from behind you <laughs> yeah i'm like my endurance bar is low <laughs> uh so the other thing so the so so the game starts up and of course the the um the first sort of opening sequence you start to realize oh all of this cutscene is spoken in Japanese with Japanese subtitles. So it's like, if ever in a game you were like, I'm not interested in the story, I'll just skip this, and I still don't know what's going on, that's a thousand times more uh, <laughs> yeah. apropos when it's literally in a foreign language twice over. Right. So then, so 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 there's good stuff, right? So I played as a, as a ranger, as an archer, and it was actually really fun. Some of the best... 
most realistic arching experiences of my life. Like, I, I actually feel like they, of all games, nailed the realistic feel. They are the division of archery, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, like, just the feel of the bow, how you shot. Like, you needed to actually... There was no locking on mechanics, so you needed to, like, lead characters if they were moving left to right on the screen. That's cool. Um, your reloading was actually you going back and reaching into your quiver to pull up more arrows out. Uh, so that felt like that's what I was actually doing. It, you know, there, you have some specialty arrows, but the way that you equipped a specialty arrow was you literally reached back and sort of up, attached something to an arrow, and then you were able to shoot one. So it just... It had this real, visceral, cool combat experience. So there was, there was joy. I understand why somebody would say you should be playing this, but we j- and we gave it a lot. I mean, we ended up being. I think we lo- stopped at like level twelve or fourteen or something like. That. We gave it a, a way more time than we should have, <laughs> and part of that was because you couldn't actually group up, and it was a. It was like the division. It was or or destiny. It was a hub world instanced thing. Mm-hmm. So like. When, you know, um, Jerry and I saw each other in the main city and we're trying to kind of discern how everything works. And like, like when you finish a quest, your items go into a box in the city, like you don't get the, so it's like, it was, there was a lot of like Michigas that I thought was really convoluted. And then you add on top of that, that 90% of the stuff you're seeing, you don't even understand anyway. Right. Like even if we even if it was in English, it would still be wow. A lot of this is sort of arbitrarily difficult for no reason. Right. Um, but then when we walked outside, we were like, "I'm outside. Me too." Oh God, we we need to be in a party. And then we're of course googling stuff, which of course when you go to Google, you're in Japan, so your results are all in Japanese. <laughs> so you're like, "I'm not in Japan. Show me the English stuff." So oh, it just man. was a little bit of a an experience. I'm glad that we did it. Um, we kept texting around, do you want to go to Japan, question mark, is what I would say whenever it was time for us to play. Uh, Amazing. Because we literally were in, in Japan. So it ended up being an interesting experience. I would play the heck out of this game if it came to the States, I think. And sadly, they, it sounds like they have no plans for that. Yeah, it's, it, it does suck. Because there there the combat was really, was really fun. Yeah. Um, well, and I think I think had it been in, in, in all in English, there would have been some some more fun to be had. Yeah, um, but it was it was an experience. Well, if you're listening and you have the guts, uh, I would love to hear uh, people attempting to do this and see if, if you know if you find some fun in it yourself. It certainly is not for the faint of heart to give it a shot, it's, unless yes. you know unless you happen to speak Japanese, and then uh, more power to you. you can... And I will say this: just this will help you in the first like experience when you get to the door to go inside someplace. Make sure you hit E. That's you will know what I mean. <laughs> love it <laughs> and if you do play it please send your emails to us in japanese and we will then take a picture no, don't tell don't it. tell people that by the way that was happen. the best part the google translator like we would like one quest we we were like in this quest and it was just all in japanese and we che- and it was like you must discover the furry meat sack <laughs> and we're like what and it turned out it meant like beast steak was something you could buy and it was just like oh, I'm out. I'm out. I can't play this puzzle anymore. My brain hurts. Suddenly, all the great. base belonged to us. Makes a whole lot of yeah. sense. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So great. Oh, oh my god. god. Oh, I'm so glad we got that story in. This, so this episode is going to be long. Uh, we actually have a bonus bit at the end, a uh, 20-minute interview that I did uh, talking about GDC, getting hyped for GDC. 
that I did with the uh, actually the GM of GDC, uh, Megan Scavio. So uh, stay tuned for that also. But uh, I want to get to uh, <laughs> so many things. We're probably going to talk long about tabletop time because uh, Alex and I had oh. an amazing experience this weekend with that. So, yeah. um, this is a good one. This is a good, good, good episode. Um, let me thank uh, another sponsor. New sponsor. Really excited to tell you about this. Uh, this is Out of the Park Baseball 17. Uh, the most authentic baseball strategy RPG ever made. Out of the Park Baseball 17. Launching worldwide March 22nd on PC and Mac. You can pre-order it today and we'll give you a special discount. Use the discount code DLC17. DLC17. Uh, it features a, uh, a full licensed MLB and MLBPA roster. So you, uh, you know all the teams, all the players, all the ballparks, all the logos. Everything's authentic. And you can manage the team however you want across nearly 150 years of baseball history. This is awesome. You can be a GM or a manager uh, at the cur- uh, of a current MLB team with accurate 2016 opening day rosters and digitally generated faces that reflect how the players are feeling. Or any club doesn't have to be a 2016 club, any club through the entire spectrum of pro baseball from the late 1800s all the way to, de- to today, anywhere in between. And it's amazing to dive into the strategies of running a big league or minor league team, make trades, scout players across the world, sign free agents, build new ballparks even. There's even more than that. As they wrote about in Polygon, Out of the Park Baseball 17's massive universe has more than 150,000 accurate minor leaguers throughout history. Is that insane? It lets you play what if with people like John Elway from football, Bo Jackson, Michael Jordan. You can, there's thousands more. You can create these crazy what if teams of like, what if they played baseball? Uh, But what strategy game lets you create the Simpsons Homer at bat episode. You can create an episode of the Simpsons in this simulation. Out of the Park Baseball 17 features a massive fictional creation suite that the dedicated and friendly community supports on the forums. They're constantly adding stuff to it. It's crazy. Out of the Park Baseball 17 simulation ed- engine is so good, a panel of baseball writers from ESPN, the Elias Sports Bureau, and others just held their vote on the teams placed in the exclusive 16 in the 16 Tournament of Champions mode. This pits the top 16 clubs of all time against each other in Out of the Park Baseball 17's all-new historical mode, a unique feature that only this game can do. You can watch it unfold live at twitch.tv slash OOTP developments on Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern. Uh, This is Out of the Park Baseball 17. This is the one you've been waiting for. Go to OOTPdevelopments.com, buy it today, and if you use the special promo code DLC17, you get 10% off its $39.99 price. And you'll be supporting DLC and indie game development. It's a win-win for everybody. This is an amazing game. You have to check it out. OOTPdevelopments.com. Use that promo code DLC17. Um, man, I really want to talk about this email real quick uh, because uh, DLCfeedback uh, at gmail.com. Uh, we got an email from David. I got a ton of feedback about last week's uh, No Man's Sky discussion, both on Twitter and uh, via email. Um, and most of these emails, like David's, uh, talk about my sort of hesitation about No Man's Sky. And I, honestly, I'm still very enthusiastic about it. I wasn't down on the game. I was just saying that 
it doesn't seem to be made from a from a goal of making a fun game. It it has a different goal, and that may be actually a good thing. But so many people, including David, said, "What about Minecraft? Uh, don't you you loved Minecraft? Don't you think? And Minecraft's a huge hit. Don't you think that this reminds you of Minecraft? Does the sentiment in David's email and a lot of people's email? And just really quickly, I want to say, uh, maybe." <laughs> but for me, the, Minecraft succeeds on on two levels. The first is it, its creation, its level of creativity, and, and you get to sort of express yourself. Uh, that doesn't seem to be on display in No Man's Sky at all. There, there does seem to be some creation stuff, and maybe we've only seen the tip of the iceberg of that. But you're certainly not going to see, like, you know, the Game of Thrones castle recreated in No Man's Sky. It doesn't offer that, to my understanding. It, it I never saw any you know, evidence of that in the game. You can create things, but mostly they're creating, you're creating things that help you, that give you power-ups or whatever. It's not like you're crafting new planets or building things on planets. You may be building a, you know, making a building here or there, but you're not expressing your creativity that way. So I don't think that holds up. The second, no sh- Starship Enterprises? I don't think so. I, I could be completely wrong, but I, I really don't think so. I, I certainly didn't see any evidence of that from my one hour of playing it. Uh, the other thing that I think Minecraft succeeds at is the thing that actually Alex, you and I, uh, loved about it when we first tried Minecraft years ago is is that feeling of like, okay, here you are, you're dropped into a place and night is coming. Yeah. Get ready. You know, there's going to be stuff that's going to kill you at night. So you better start building right away to, you know, make a hidey hole and make a shelter and get ready. Uh, not, no Man's Sky is not interested in, in that at all. It certainly gives you the ability to explore and it certainly does create dangers. But from my experience playing it, again, only for an hour, all of the dangers that I encountered in No Man's Sky were only because I initiated some something. I started shooting at stuff and so the defense systems activated and started shooting back at me. I think that Hello Games is interested in creating an experience that lets you opt into that that stuff and, and really gives you freedom to just roam around and not be bothered as long as you want. That could be really fun. I think a lot of people are going to find that fun. Uh, My worry is that when you're wandering around, there's not much, it doesn't seem like because it's designed, it's, you know, it's, it's all based on an algorithm. There's not much to actually discover. That's my worry. But well, it remains to be seen. Isn't that isn't that life, bro? It's life. I mean, that's, that's Sean Murray's contention, right? This game is is giving you an experience. I just don't think, like life, the experience is about fun. <laughs> I'm not. Uh... <laughs> First off, I don't know if you're doing life right, sir. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm not usually one to support pre-ordering but while i was out of the country i uh uh, gosh i i want to i'll see if i can get in the show notes there was a youtube video of just four minutes of uh basically b-roll of no man's sky with like no talking over just the sounds of the game that was going around i think i saw it on neogaf and i watched that and then immediately pre-ordered the collector's edition for ps4 from best buy i i hope you are wrong jeff and i'm not disappointed i am so hyped for this game this game is hitting uh, Nintendo NX levels of hype in my I want, you, in my I want you to love it. I hope you do. I, I I hope I love it. I'm very excited about it myself. I just I'm worried that the lack of structure will be my undoing with it. But I could be wrong. My guy is going to quit being a space pilot. He's going to become an attorney. He's going to quit that, and he's going to start doing stand up comedy on one of these planets. There you go. 
And, just like uh, life. Just like life. <laughs> just like life. Um, all right. Uh, so let's uh, let's let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Oh boy. Tabletop time. Tabletop time. Right now. Right now. Okay, so um, Al- I love having Alex on the show because um, the majority of the times that I, I mean, I have several different gaming groups, but uh, m- the majority of the time that I play board games, I play it with Alex. And um, this, Huzzah! Yeah, this weekend <laughs> was no exception. Um, people have heard me rave on the show about time stories before. Uh, T period, I period, M period, E period stories. Uh, it was released last year. It is the time travel board game sort of console that you plug new expansions in. You play those expansions only once because it's one story, has a beginning, middle, and end, and it has surprises and puzzles that only would work one time through. But the cool thing is each of the expansions plays completely different from, well, not completely different, but but has a big, big difference in it from the ones before it. So and they're designed. The expansions are designed by different game makers. Correct. Yes, that's right. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, and so the idea is, you go back in time. You have to figure out why you're there. Sort of like Quantum Leap. You're a group of time travelers. You go back in time to a different time period. In our case, Hans. <laughs> in your case, nobody understands that. But yes. <laughs> um, and uh, and you try to figure out why you're there, and you're uncovering puzzles, and you're running out of time as you do certain things. And uh, at a certain point, you'll get sucked back to the future. And you have to jump again back to the original starting point that you, you started from uh, at the beginning of the game. But now you're armed with more information, all the information that you gained that first time through. And you can keep doing that. And the goal is to solve the mystery in as few trips back in time as possible. Yeah, it's bananas. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that we all can have as sort of our thesis about this is that it's it's the game that we all wanted all role-playing games to feel like right yeah i think that's i think that's fair i you know it although the one the one place where i think it doesn't check the box and i don't know if we ever got to that place is the sort of embodiment of the other character as the not you you know what i mean like yeah and I, but I don't know if we ever got there with 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 D or any other the role playing games. Like we are very much, you know, aware of the fact that it's Alex playing, you know, Smurfin the the elf, right. and not I become Smurfin the elf. But I think that's the only part for people who who like love that part of the role playing games. They would maybe miss that in this. Mm. Though I think you could do that in this in a way more meaningful way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because of the fact like that you're that, embodying right? these characters. Yeah. yeah. So the newest expansion to this game, okay, I've talked about uh, the Asylum, which is the first one that comes in the original box. Uh, and then the second one that came out is called the Marcy Case, uh, which is sort of a zombie game. And uh, we've pl- we played both of those. And the third one just came out on Thursday. I ran out and bought it that day. I had it on pre-order. I'm so excited. We love these games. So we've been like counting down the days. It's called The Prophecy of Dragons. And this is sort of the um, the uh, sword and sorcery, you know, Dungeons and Dragons esque uh, aesthetic, the mi- milieu of of you know role playing games. So we were very excited, and we played it on Saturday. Um, yeah, we did. Alex, tell me, <laughs> tell me what you're, you know, what you feel about it. 
I, I mean, look, it's it is it is the single best board game slash RPG experience that I've had in a day sitting. I mean, it's just you can't. There are things that happen in the game that you don't expect can happen in a board game. Right. I mean, you know, even to the fact of you know, let's forget the fact that we kind of set this moment up ourselves without uh, you know un- unwittingly, but the fact that. You know, without getting into too many spoilers, there was literally something that happened at the end of this gaming session that had been un- literally and figuratively under our noses the entire time we've been playing the last two expansions without even knowing it. Yeah. I, 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 that moment of elation and confusion and. J- bewilderment of you know what i mean like that two minute experience is something that i don't know how you make i don't know how it happens in a game that is a normal board game or an rpg experience Uh, it's definitely not something that's ever happened to me and you know it there is something great about understanding certain mechanics and having a familiarity to some of the characters and some of the dynamics, but then having all of this new mechanics and new ways in which you experience the story and new art and new, you know, language that it just seems like, how, how is this even possible? I'm shocked that nobody's ever done this before. Yeah. A and, and B I'm shocked that anybody sort of can do this. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's amazing that, uh, you know, three three episodes in, or three different adventures in the same system, basically, that they can continually find new ways to surprise us and new yeah. ways to make this adventure feel completely different from the previous two that we've played, using the same bits that come in the first box. And just that's the part that box. blows your mind. It's yeah. the same bits, yeah, but it, com- it comes with completely different. Uh, Completely different. Yeah. Completely different. I mean, this had magic in it, yeah. and like you know, resource management. I mean, it was like, what is going on? Yeah, and there's these new mapping systems, and the game. You know, there's a, there's like a whole commerce now where you can go to markets and buy things that never existed before. Yeah, there's gambling. I mean, it's yeah, crazy. It's it. It was so fun. Where do you place it in terms of the three that we have played so far? I. I mean, I think. It's funny. We were talking to uh, uh, Jerry's friend Todd, who we, you know, Jerry had convinced to start doing this because of our experiences with it, and he hadn't played um, the second one yet. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Wait, if you if you're going to play another one, and and the third one is out, play that third one." I hadn't played the third one, but I just remembered the first one was so amazing, and there were such great moments in the first one. And I felt like the second one was was fun, but was also felt lacking a bit. And I don't know if that's because the because it was lacking, or because the first one also encompassed the joy of experiencing what this game is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a little bit of firsties that 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 comes into it. But I would put this one squarely in in a solid second place as far as the three and, and the first. So I would say asylum, 
Dragon's Prophecies and the Mercy the uh, Marcy case. Mercy case, yeah. Marcy case, yeah. Marcy yeah, case, I, yeah. I, I concur. I would agree with that. I think they're all all three of them are very much worth playing. And oh yeah, uh, it's it it's ranks among the best tabletop experiences I've ever had. I mean, you talk about that last moment. That last moment was staggering. But there were like five or six moments where we were all high-fiving each other over dice rolls or like erupting because we figured something out or doing something really clever and cool. I mean, I'm not, I'm not joking. There were cheers in our room of the four of us, like high-fiving when a, a dice roll happened. It, many times. It, it, it's many times. It is a thrilling experience. You are taken on a, a ride of, of discovery and surprise. And there was like, you know, half a dozen big surprise moments in this game. It, in every every one of these expansions, and, and man, I I just can't speak highly enough about it. It's so great. And there's enough of the sort of rules bickering because I I mean, for me, I feel like that's part of our play style. That's for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like most they, people won't have that. <laughs> well, but not not even just rule stuff, but like how when do you use certain items? Like I mean, the epic crystal ball experience yes. of 2016. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, commemorated on uh, on Jeff's Instagram, uh, you know those moments are 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 great because it just goes to show you how vested in the situation we are. Right. You know what I mean? Like when you're having such a passionate, you know, discourse over whether or not to use an item or whether or not to give up items to receive another item, it just means that you, it's just because you're so vested in getting through and solving the mysteries. Right. It's it's really. It's it's a hard experience to top. Completely concur. Uh, again, it's called Time Stories, and this new expansion is called Prophecy of Dragons. Uh, Christian, you played some tabletop in Mexico? Yeah, we were uh, south of the border with friends and family, or f- uh, friends and some of their family. We um, played some Cards Against Humanity, which I think is, you know, everybody, it's a fantastic game. I think best played with... Um, people you wouldn't expect to play the game with for example one of our friends there her mom was there with us oh boy <laughs> and uh it's just it's just great um i don't think i can say what the, they played because this is a clean show but you yeah. get, <laughs> you get some really great moments i think if you're burned out on the game that's the way to go back into it is with people that are generally you think of as like maybe prudish and uh they have fun with the game they get into it and then liar's dice which if you uh I mean, it's an old a game as old as time. Pirates of the Caribbean gave it a, a refresher. It's easy to play. Five dice per people cup. You turn the cups upside down, you know, or shake your dice, turn the cup upside down. And the idea of the game is you are constantly betting on what dice are on the table or, or predicting what dice are on the table. So, for example, if it's my turn, uh, I look at how many people are playing. It's best with three or more. And I would say there are four sixes. And that seems like a pretty low bet. Then the next person uh, whose next turn can either call me a liar, at which case everybody shows their die. And if they're right, I win. If if there's, if not, then I lose and I lose a dice. Um, And the next person's turn is to raise the stakes. And they can do that either by making it a statistically harder thing. So, you know, six fours or whatever, or increasing the number, which statistically doesn't change the thing but that's how the game is played it's a very old old game easy to look up the rules on wikipedia but i find it consistently fun in the sense that it starts out easy and everybody's having a good time and then as it goes around the circle or goes around and people start upping the stakes you get to these moments of uh man this was fun a few seconds ago but now 
now, Aunt Sue, you have become a real jerk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're, you're putting me in a corner. And I like games that are, you know, easy to travel and just mindlessly fun. Um, there are also um, drinking game modifiers for this that if you are of age and enjoy, enjoy drinks, I personally do not drink. But if you like that kind of thing, the game goes off the rails. And from the laughter and yelling I heard <laughs> as I was sitting on the beach, Became very fun. <laughs> Dude, I have uh, I have PTSD with this game uh, because <laughs> I when I was a sophomore, I lived in a house with like seven dudes, and many of them would play this game until like three or four o'clock in the morning, and all they would be shouting and pl- they would play the game. They put dice in in cups, shake the cups, and then slam them on the table to reveal the dice. Yep. And at four o'clock in the morning, when you have a final the next day, and your idiot roommates are playing this game i was like i hate all of you uh, (laughs) well give the game a shot give the game a shot liars it's easy to play easy to travel chances are you have it already because you have we i think we rated monopoly and i don't know something else for their die and then you just get you can also play it with dollar bills and with the with the serial numbers of dollar bills yeah you say how many numbers in the serial numbers of everybody has dollar bills in their hand and yeah and then you that's cool you play that game where the winner gets your dollar bills Oh, I like the dice yeah. version <laughs> from how I, pl- from how I played. <laughs> All right, we got uh, we got more show coming for you, but I do need to thank our final sponsor, Meh. Meh, M-E-H dot com. This is a classic daily deal site created by the founders of the original daily deal site, Woot.com. Woot.com has become more than just a daily deal, so they went back to the roots and created a, just one deal per day, and they called it Meh, Meh. That's not even really the big point. Like the daily deal thing is sort of an aside. What's really interesting about Meta.com is the community that lives there. There's uh, uh, every day when they launch the deal, they put up a new story and there's these videos that they put up and that builds this community and people come out and comment on it and they read the story and they, they come and hang out and it just became this fun place to stop by and, and be part of your daily routine so their goal isn't even really just to have the, the deal sell well. The goal is to create this this online community, and it's really happening. You should check it out. Uh, meh.com, M-E-H.com. You can check it out. Uh, you know, have meh be part of your day. Meh. 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 It's the new yay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, we're going to wrap up this show. Again, we have a bonus interview uh, with Megan Scavio coming at the end of the show. You want to hear that. It's really cool. She's fascinating talking about GDC, how it came to be, and what it is this year to get you excited for next week or this week as you're listening to the show. Uh, but we do have our um, our parting gift coming up right now, so stay tuned for that also. Uh, but I do have to thank Alex Albrecht for being here. What's up? Thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. Dude, so much fun. I, we should have done this way earlier, and uh, you're always welcome back. Um, Love it. Tell the people how they can keep up with you. Oh, yeah. You can totally keep up with me, people. Uh, uh, best ways to uh, listen and subscribe to uh, my new weekly podcast called The Half Hour Happy Hour with Allison and Alex. Uh, myself and uh, my co-host, the lovely uh, Allison Hayslip, and our our wayward technician, Tom Supervolcano uh, Krajewski. Uh, basically, just chat about things uh, weekly. It's over at uh, the Nerdist.com in their podcast section, or you can check it out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Alex Albrecht, uh, Instagram, Alex Albrecht. I, I kind of have tried Snapchatting, but it's not my thing. <laughs> I feel it's ubiquitous now, like yeah. you got to do something. 
uh yeah cool man all in all that's what i've been up to uh half hour happy hour is really fun you guys should definitely check it out it's you'll i guarantee laughter you will enjoy thank it thank you um thank you we're actually going to be at wondercon now now that i think about it all right so if you're at wondercon i think friday night at 9 p.m uh on the 25th we're doing a live taping so if you're bored at wondercon stumble on by right on christian how about you what do you got going on this week there is my new podcast, Department of Parenting. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's a parenting podcast. If you have kids or don't have kids, maybe interested, it uh, it's quick. It's a fun take on it, and it is clean, so you can listen to it with your kids in the car. So you decide, um, or you share an earbud. That's weird. <laughs> who shares? Who shares an earbud? Um, Stand up wise, uh, L.A. I'm doing a show at the Hollywood Improv March 31st. If you're in L.A. These are obviously shows I'm telling people. To, if Twitter's the easiest way, at Spicer, you'll see where I am that night. Um, out of LA, April 1st and 2nd, I'm in San Diego at the Madhouse Comedy Club. April 22nd and 23rd, back in San Diego at the Comedy Store in La Jolla. And then in May 19th, 20th, 21st, I am in Salt Lake City. Ticketing links aren't live yet, but if you're in Salt Lake, look for those dates. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I have out of town that's probably that's probably good otherwise i'm usually at the comedy store some hip alt venue in and around la and uh twitch twitch.tv slash christian spicer trying to be good with thursdays when i am in town and um hopefully gearing up to do a little bit more as well so if you want to get on on the ground floor before twitch was cool you're too late twitch is already pretty cool (laughs) but i'm having fun so check it out uh I'm on the Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Um, also, I have several shows for you to listen to. If you like movies and video, or excuse me, movies and and uh, TV shows, you can listen to me talk about that at the Slash Filmcast. You can find that at slashfilm.com or slashfilmcast.com. Uh, if you like uh, science and comedy, check out We Have Concerns at wehaveconcerns.com. And if you're into tech, check out Tomorrow Daily on CNET. You can find that at tomorrowdaily.com. Dude, you're busy. I am busy. Busy, busy. <laughs> uh, and I'll be heading out to GDC, so I'm excited for next week. We're, we're going to be talking about a lot of VR stuff. The VR is exploding at GDC. It's going to be great. Um, hey, guys, uh, we do have that Mag- Megan Scavio episode coming right up, but let's do the parting gift right now. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is Alex, do you have a uh, parting gift to get people through their week? Um, maybe a maybe a movie that you enjoyed this week. <laughs> oh, oh, gee, if I only could think of one, uh, I would say if you haven't seen Ten Cloverfield Lane, you're an idiot. Go see Ten Cloverfield Lane. Agreed. Uh, yeah, Jeff and I's. Uh, 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 post uh, TRS compadre, I don't know why it's post TRS compadre, but our TRS compadre, uh, Dan Trachtenberg, uh, his d- feature directorial debut is uh, a small movie from the, the the people that brought you Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> as weird as that sounds, uh, yeah, the new uh, Bad Robot and Paramount movie, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. I am happy to report it is excellent. Yeah. Uh, really that was a great. big relief. <laughs> yeah, just because you know, whenever your friends make things, it's, it's you always want them to be amazing, and sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But you also wanted to support. But thankfully, uh, this this movie literally had me on the on the edge of my seat. I'd be recommending it if it wasn't Dan's movie. But go go desperately and see Ten Cloverfield Lane, and also avoid spoilers. I know Jeff's big 
avoid spoilers guy, but with this one, definitely avoid spoilers. Just go fresh. Agreed. And uh, the other recommendation I would say is see it in a theater that has good sound. Yeah, we saw it in the IMAX thing, and it was fantastic. Yeah, so good. Rumbles your seat at certain points. Yep. It's, it's so good. Sound design in this movie is very good. Uh, what about you, Christian? You got a, a, a parting gift? Yeah, so I am a not a backer of this because I already own the wonderful Hotline Miami soundtrack on an edition of it on vinyl. But if you missed out on getting that, I love the Hotline Miami soundtracks. I think they are fantastic. And there is currently, if you are so inclined, a Kickstarter from Laced Records. They teamed up with uh, Devolver Digital and Denton Games. And they are doing a collector's edition, definitive edition of the Hotline Miami soundtrack on vinyl. They are already well past their goal. Um, so, you know, know if you give your money to this that they're taking it <laughs> uh, i think to get the albums it's like 35 pounds over on the kickstarter but if you just search for hotline miami collector's edition vinyl if you like vinyl if you are into that resurgence and uh, you dug the hotline miami soundtrack this is a assuming they deliver on their promise <laughs> an inexpensive way perhaps to get them on vinyl i know some of the ones going around right now on ebay are um, fetching a pretty penny so maybe check it out i have to thank for my parting gift uh Carrie from Auckland, New Zealand. I have spoken uh, at length about my love of Prince. And uh, I think I actually had as a parting gift a while back his album Hit and Run Phase One, which is this awesome like electronic dance album that I, I totally love. Uh, well, Carrie contacted me and said, hey, Hit and Run Phase Two is out. And not only that, I have it. Do you want it? And I went, heck yeah. So he he was kind enough to send me uh, a CD of Hit and Run Phase 2, new Prince album. Man, it's awesome. And it's so cool because it's so different from Hit and Run Phase 1, which was this, as I said, dance album. This is much more like a uh, soul, rhythm and blues, uh, jazzy album. It's it's really, really great. Full brass section. You know, I love that sort of big band sound. And Prince, he's so facile. He's able to switch between genres so easily. The, the music on this album is so great. Um, there's a, the, the last song on the, on the album is called Big City. It's been in my head for all week. Uh, it's great. So if you get a chance to check it out, Hit and Run Phase 2, I think you'll dig it. It's probably not the kind of music you always listen to, but it's so good. And I don't know. I love it. I love it. So thanks again to Carrie. All right, that's going to do it. Uh, well, not really, because you still have bonus content coming at you. Megan Scavio from uh, GDC is on her way to tell you all about that and why you should be excited for next week and the great big announcements that we're going to get uh, at the Developers Conference. Uh, but that's going to do it for us right now. Um, thanks to Alex Albrecht and Christian Spicer. Thanks to Megan Scavio. Uh, and uh, thanks to you guys for listening to the show. We certainly appreciate it. Please tell your friends about it. Uh, give us those five-star reviews on your on your platform of choice. We appreciate that, too. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. I am here with Megan Scavio, the GM of GDC. Uh, and uh, we have uh, GDC kicking off today, actually, as people hear this. Uh, this, this week, I'm very excited. I'm flying up uh, mere hours from now to San Francisco to attend myself. I... I find GDC to be one of the best conferences. Uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, welcome to DLC, Megan. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, how many times have you been to GDC so far? Oh, boy. Um, probably about six or seven times, I would say. Awesome. Yeah. I do kind of like to talk to someone for the 
talk them through their first GDC, but now at least you can experience, or at least you can share with your audience how great GDC actually is. Yeah, I, as I said, it's it's one of my favorite shows to go to because it it really is a more technical show. Uh, you get to really see behind the curtain uh, how games are made and. Uh, I think it's for developers, by developers, and to be a fly on the wall for me from the sort of journo side, to be a fly on the wall and hear the conversations between developers, I find to be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely think that's how we've made it to 30 years, is that we've maintained that philosophy of by developers, for developers. So all of the session content, and there's a lot of it, it's at least, it's over 500 sessions that happen over the course of five days. All of the editorial content is programmed by game developers, like working game developers. We have, my team has very little control over the sessions that take place. So it really is a, a community effort. Wow. So how do you put that all together? How do you reach out to the community and, and find what developers want to be talking about? Yeah, it's insane. So we have, it's, it's quite complicated because we have summits and there's about seven or eight different summits on Monday and Tuesday, and then we have the main conference. So each of those parts has a separate advisory committee. Um, but essentially, over this late summer in July and September, August, we open a call for submissions. So we request people to submit very detailed session topics. And then the advisory boards review them and then personally mentor them. And it's crazy because some of my advisory board members, it's like Mark Cerny who made the PlayStation 4. And he's, yeah. he's personally mentoring, you know, a dozen speakers for GDC every year. Wow. Um, yeah. So we get about uh, a thousand submissions at the end of the day. And from those submissions, the, the various boards accept uh, a few hundred. Wow, that's incredible. So how, how many years have you been in, directly involved with GDC? Uh, my first GDC was in 2000. So this is my 17th. I'm, I'm wow. you know, I'm, I'm almost awesome. as old. I know. It's, it's a great show. You know, it's a, really, oh, yeah. it's a really great community. And when you're there, it just feels like a family reunion. So how, how has GDC evolved over those 17 years? I mean, how... I'm, well, it's you know, quadrupled in size, that's for sure. <laughs> That's cool. But I mean, like the, the kinds of topics that people are talking about, I mean, games have, even in that short period of time, have uh, gained popularity, become even more mainstream than they were in 2000. So what have you seen personally that changed the way developers talk to each other? Well, it's kind of interesting because um, in programming the 30th GDC, we did this event called the Flash Backward. And in, in, in trying to figure out, the flash backward is going back the last 30 years to talk about, you know, the different things that have happened in video games for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so I, I did a bunch of research and I, I went through old GDC event guides from the early 90s to see what they were talking about back yeah. then. And it's literally the same stuff. Wow. <laughs> it's storytelling. It's, you know, what kind of, you know, narrative programming issues it's really very very similar topics it's just the, the technology that's changed over the years so yeah we're still trying to crack the same nuts right still trying it's to create the same nuts. experiences exactly so whether you're creating a game for a phone or you're creating a game for your pc or for a vr headset it's all really the same mechanics that go into that yeah, and I guess uh, since you brought it up, uh, I, VR really is the big new thing this year. You have, I mean, we have GDC, G, GDC, but there's also VRDC, right? There's a whole other out, outcropping of, of discussions. 
Yes, we launched our very first virtual reality developers conference at GDC this year. Um, like I was saying earlier, we have our summits that start the week, and those are kind of um, mini conferences that take place. So they're deep dives into one particular vertical. And VR is just a thing that last year kind of took over uh, the development community. And so we decided to dedicate some time to it. So we created um, a two-day event that's dual-tracked. It's We're going to have one room talking about game content for VR and one room talking about entertainment content for VR. So all of those experiences that that are available right now. Very exciting stuff for me. I, I'm a huge uh, VR um, <laughs> prophetizer. I, you know, I, I'm on that bandwagon big time. And I think Same. this is very exciting. And I think... Um, you know, one of the things to, to get people excited about VR is to have people try it. And I think that probably goes the same for developers, right? To, to be able to have a convention like this where they can come together and try these technologies and get excited about what people are doing with them, right? Absolutely. I mean, I went to um, Oculus Connect this last fall and the sign-up sheets for developers to just to demo games was filled up in a matter of seconds. So, you know, GDC is not generally a place where people can play games, but more and more it's become that. And we have a lounge this year that Epic helped us put together, but there's going to be a GDC VR lounge with every headset, every platform available and a bunch of really cool games. So a lot of developers will have an opportunity to get their hands on what's out there. It's it's so cool. I, I know there are announcements every year and from from sort of my side of covering G- GDC, one of the things I like about it is that it, it doesn't feel like E three or or you know any of yeah. the other conventions. Is there is it is there a challenge there for you to sort of make sure that it doesn't become just announcements and press conferences and yes, uh, you know, a <laughs> PR show? You know that it really is for the developers. Yeah, you know it it really is a challenge and and. We have this sort of laser focus on trying to remain a development community event. So that's what we program toward. And we used to do keynotes. This is a good example. We used to do keynotes many years ago. They were always, you probably remember, they were always sort of platform keynotes, Nintendo or Sony or Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, but they ended up feeling very press conference We had little control over what they were going to say. Um, developers didn't really care if, Netflix was going to be available on a certain device and it just it felt like it was straying away from our audience so we've kind of worked with them and explained that that's really not what we want at GDC and talk to them about what we do want at GDC so a couple of years ago um, Sony announced the Morpheus at GDC in a sponsored session but they did it in a way that wasn't a bunch of hype but it was geared at here's the technology available to you guys um, and it made big news. Right. So we, we, we try to steer everyone to make announcements at GDC that benefit our audience, but that, that doesn't mean they won't do stuff outside of GDC, which I think there might be some things happening. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> hopping between hotels like a mad exactly. person. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so uh, another thing I think that has uh, developed more and more in, in the years since uh, 2000 is the uh, the number of independent game developers that are uh, putting out big games and and interesting games and have more ability to reach an audience than than ever before and uh, we had Kelly Wallach in uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago on the show talking yeah. about the yeah the indie mega booth 
Can you talk about uh, how how indie games have sort of influenced the the show as a as a whole? Yeah, well, we um, you know we have been running the Independent Games Festival for eighteen years now. Yeah, uh, so it's kind of the preeminent award ceremony. I I like to think anyway. Pat myself on the back, but I didn't launch it. I just host it now. Um, ceremony for for independent game makers. We also launched um, an independent game summit at GDC, which sells out every year. So we dedicate a lot of content to it. Um, it, it, it sort of used to be that indie games stayed within the Independent Game Summit, but now they've become so popular and so huge that it's seeping into the main conference. Um, and a lot of my, even my new advisory board members are indie game developers because that's kind of where new cool stuff is happening. Yeah. We do this event on Friday of GDC called the Experimental Gameplay Workshop. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever checked it out, but I it's... Have, yeah. It's really early demos of hopefully experimental games um, that is like a, a thousand people's packed session every every year. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool. It is very cool. Yeah, you get to see stuff really early on that, that it's just sort of seeds of ideas. That it's yeah. super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering, I'm curious about your, your journey into this. How did you, well, were you uh, a game developer yourself or how did you become involved in GDC <laughs> in the beginning? I ha- well, no, I was not a game developer. I grew up playing games. You know, I am older, and I played on the Atari and Nintendo, and I. I, I oh, but so I did I. So did I. There you go. <laughs> I mean, my the first game I ever finished was the original Zelda, and I still have the the cartridge. I love that game so That's much. Awesome. Um, but. I was an event planner, so I worked for this company that that I still work for, um, who owns GTC called UBM, and I was I was doing events, and they assigned GDC to me in 2000, and it was just like I'd found my people, and (laughs) (laughs) and I've just grown, and now I now I'm in charge somehow. I don't know. I still don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. Um, Excuse me. Uh, You brought up. You brought up uh, the the uh, Independent Game Awards. Uh, there's also the Game Developer Awards that that happens during GDC. Yes, and the Game um, Developers Choice Awards. Yes, indeed. Sorry, excuse me. Uh, That's okay. Do you? I think that that for me is the most important award given out in the video game world. How do you? What's your take on awards for video games and and you know GDC's awards in particular? The the sort of um, uh, the ceremony itself and the the notoriety it brings, but also sort of, you know, I think that the classiest awards, and I think that's that's an important part of what make them have prestige. Yeah, no, I mean, I I am really really proud of the work that we do um, for our our Game Developers Choice Awards ceremony. We we are a developer event, so we have developers hosting the awards. We have developers voting on the awards. Um, it, it's uh, it's a roster of over 700, you know, GDC speakers basically who are the voters, um, and we do try to take it very seriously. But I I have to say, you know, I, I have respect for all of the other ceremonies, the Dice Awards. You know, they 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 put a very strong effort in, um, and you know, I I know Jeff Keeley who does the um, video game awards. Sure. Jeff Keighley is just um, an awesome guy. Right. And, he's a friend of the I, show as well. We, we, we like he's, Jeff. He's the greatest. And his intent 
is to respect awards, really. Or, I'm sorry, respect games. Yeah. That is what he wants to do. But when you, and there are challenges. We talked to some people one time about trying to become televised. And there are so many more challenges. They, they really want celebrity. They want spectacle. Yeah. And so they have their Snoop Dogg involved in some way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but are you kidding me? If I if I could have Shaquille O'Neal, I took the most pictures I took at the Game Awards were of Shaquille. <laughs> <laughs> like I I think there's a place for everything. I think those are fun. People really enjoy them. We do ours, and I really enjoy it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm just <laughs> glad that the Game Developers Choice Awards exists. I I think it's an important award, and I think. You know, I think the games that get featured there are it's it's you know it's for developers by developers. I think that's the most important thing. Um, you know, we also ha- we're the only ceremony that does an in memoriam segment, so we're the only right. ceremony that acknowledges the passing of of our community. Yeah, um, which is kind of special. I Very think. important. Yeah. Um, so upcoming this week, I'm I'm headed up there as I said. Uh, what are some panels and and um, sessions that I definitely shouldn't miss? Well, there's one. So VRDC is going to be pretty packed. It's, I don't know if VR is popular. And oh my gosh, my VR. schedule for VR events. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't pack anything else in. I'm just going to be, it's going to be a series of headset transfers. That's all of my whole week is going to be. I saw a tweet about how GDC is just a VR conference now. It's not, but it feels like it. Right. Um, I would, I would warn everyone about VR zits because those <laughs> headsets, I've had them. Be careful. Yeah, at this point, I feel like I should have my own headset and just keep just plug it into other people's computers. <laughs> right, you should. <laughs> the only safe way. Yeah. Um, but VRDC is going to be packed. Um, so make sure you get there early. But there is one talk that is Tuesday afternoon that's being hosted by um, ILM. Oh, great. And I think that's going to be, if you're going to, if you go to one, one talk, might, might want to go to that one. That is awesome. Yes. And then there's some really fun stuff. You know, we a long time ago, we hosted this session called the Game Design Challenge, mm-hmm. and we retired it after a 10-year run, and we brought it back this year to celebrate our 30th anniversary. And it's where we give a set of designers um, a, a game challenge. So this year, it's how do you make a game that takes 30 years to play? So wow. these four developers will create a game pitch that they're doing that right now and they will present that to the audience and then the audience votes for the best the best game pitch for this this challenge and it's super fun and it's a really interesting way to see like what the design process really is for these guys um and and women yeah. um, that's a definitely a can't miss talk we also have you know we have this track called the advocacy track mm-hmm. and it's a little more serious but it, it talks about you know, things besides how you're making a game, but how can how to be responsible while making a game? Yeah, but there's some there's some cool things in there. Like, um, I don't know if you know Rami Rami Ishmael. Yes, absolutely. He's hosting a panel of uh, developers from all over the world, so it's really people of color and, and trying to get their perspective on what um, game development is to them. Mm-hmm. It's really insightful. Uh, I'm trying to think. Obviously, the game design, the experimental gameplay workshop is something you have to go. There's going to be a super awesome Fallout 4 level design talk. Um, it's going to be... Oh, and our classic game postmortems. Are you familiar with those? Oh, yeah. Those are great. Yeah. Those are really fascinating. 
So I went to, I love, it's my favorite thing to program because I, I have this like long running list of games to invite every year. <laughs> is that, is I, it hard to get the designers to come talk about games that are, that are older? It is not at all. They oh. love it. The very first year we did it was for our 25th anniversary. And I was literally calling people at their, com- at, because they left games. They're no longer in games and they work for sort of computer companies. And I was sending emails to like info at, um, <laughs> But I got them all. It's amazing. They're very excited. But this year we have um, the Ms. Pac-Man. So that's an interesting story because it's not made by a Japanese developer. It's made by a Westerner and it was a port of another game. Yeah, right. Wow. Really good story. We have the maker um, of the original Diablo and we have, I went to the PlayStation experience and I saw that Res VR game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I'm like, you must do the original res. And so that's going to happen. I think that's a can't miss talk. Oh, man. Because Mizuguchi-san is sort of the coolest guy in video games. He really is. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like such a jam-packed show. Well, we'll wrap up with this. I I think, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges for the game development community is diversity. And I just, you know, would love for you to talk about what GDC is doing to sort of you know, uh, encourage diversity among game developers and get more voices heard and more voices involved in creating games. Yeah, I mean, we are doing actually quite a bit of things. Um, last year, so last year I made a, I decided I was going to have put a, a lot of effort into getting more women to speak. So when before we opened our call for submissions, I just sort of scoured the internet and found as many women in tech, women in games organizations as I could find and messaged them asking them to submit and encourage their members to submit to GDC. And I got a lot of feedback from them um, about how we can better serve their community. One of them was daycare. Um, So we added daycare to GDC so that more women are are capable of coming with it and they don't have to leave their kids at home. Yeah. Um, But we also started um, a, a scholarship program. So we donate, this year we donated about 500 all access passes to diverse organizations to disperse to their members. Hmm. Um, so I think if we can get more, a, a more diverse audience, we'll eventually get a more diverse speaker mm-hmm. uh, roster. But we're also doing this event on Sunday, which is a speaker boot camp where we're working with a bunch of other volunteer organizations to, to train up-and-comers to um, be more comfortable speaking on a stage and, and, and encouraging them to participate more. So we're, we're doing what we can to, to widen that gap. Well, that's great. I, I really appreciate you being here. I'm super excited. I think it's going to be a, a really fun week. Uh, and I'll be, you know, I'll be back next Monday to report uh, in, on the show about all the cool stuff I got to see. But thanks so much for taking time, uh, Megan Scavia. You're thanks welcome. for being here. You're yeah. welcome. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Take care.